And welcome into the latest edition of The Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined as always by my partner, Andy Roth. And this podcast, as always, is brought to you by DraftKings and more from our sponsor in just a moment. Now, today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Steve Ashburner of NBA.com, who, of course, covers the NBA um, and he basically specializes in covering the world champion Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls. So Andy and I, because he's from the New York area and I'm from Chicago, we'll have lots of questions on both those teams. And by the way, you can follow Steve as I do on Twitter at AshNBA. So welcome in, Steve. And uh, the first thing we're going to ask you is because I think I'm talking to two of the biggest Will Chamberlain fans I've ever known, and I'm a big fan of Wilt also, by the way. And Andy will tell you that Wilt is the best. I mean, he's the greatest of all time. So we'll start right there. Is the Wilt the greatest of all time, or is or is Michael, or or who? Who's the greatest of all time? Well, um, I, I, I stick with Wilt, and I think uh, every year that goes by, uh, and the number of people that are, are left to appreciate Wilt uh, goes down, I feel more dug in, um, you know, than ever. Because uh, I think for a lot of people, uh, they look at him as like some folktale, you know, Paul Bunyan, uh, some mythic character, um, the Jolly Green Giant or something. Well, he's not real. I remember hearing that said about Babe Ruth. There were people that thought Babe Ruth was just a cartoon character from and Wilt, when you look at his feats, when you look at the stories about him on and off the court, uh, the fact that he's not around, he passed away in 1999, uh, you know, a few years after the 50th uh, anniversary celebration of the NBA. Uh, the fact he's not around to sort of remind people, and he was always willing to remind people about how great he was. Um, I, think, I think it's important to connect what we see and enjoy today with you know, what really was special back then and is a big part of why we even got to today. You know, Steve, it's interesting the phraseology you use because on October 26th on NBA TV, they put up Wilt's numbers from 1962, 52 points, 41 rebounds. And Isaiah in studio said, are those are those numbers real? Those, those are cartoon numbers. But Isaiah gave him his due. And, and people don't realize that, you know, Wilt did play against Kareem. Wilt was past his athletic prime. And, and more than held his own. So people who think that Kareem was great should should see the greatness of Will, too, in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, you know, people try to discredit the opponents back then. Well, first of all, he had one of the all-time sports rivalries with Bill Russell, all right? And that was a team thing where Russell's teams won. They, they did better than Wilt's teams. But head-to-head, individually, you know, Wilt's numbers dwarfed um, Bill Russell's. So, you know, he had Russell, Hall of Famer. He played against guys like Willis Reed, um, Walt Bellamy, Bob Pettit, uh, you know, and, and you move forward in time. I mean, Nate Thurman, who he considered to be the toughest defender on him ever. Eventually, Kareem. Uh, you know, this was a different NBA back then. I mean, in the 60s and 70s, it was it was the land of the Giants. And um, people that want to say that Wilt, played against a bunch of plumbers, uh, they really don't know what they're talking about. And it's interesting, Wilt's final two seasons in the league, it's the Lakers that went to the finals, not the Milwaukee Bucks. So if you're even looking at team accomplishments, those final two seasons, you know, Wilt outdid Kareem. Yeah, good point. You know, I was going to say, Steve, you know, one of the most amazing things about Wilt, and I mean, you can go on and on and on. He was a great athlete, by the way, obviously, but – 
he never fouled out of a game. I think that's correct. And also yep. one yep. season, one season he averaged over 48 minutes a game because there was a couple of overtime games. So the man never sat down either. He never came off the floor. Um, people might want to say, well, he didn't foul out, which means he let up defensively. But remember, blocks were not uh, tabulated back then as a, an official stat. Uh, what was going in Wilt's favor was there was a statistician back then who uh, worked for the Philadelphia franchise named Harvey Pollack. And Harvey Pollack would keep blocks and a lot of other stats that uh, weren't part of the official record back then. Blocks didn't, and Seals um, didn't, didn't come in until the season after Wilt retired. But he, he would routinely have Wilt for double digits in blocks. And when you add the fact that he was always in double digits in scoring and rebounding, there were a lot of triple doubles that Wilt didn't get credit for. He also found a way when he got determined to um, to rack up a lot of assists as well. So I, I've got to think that there were some quadruple doubles in uh, in Wilt's portfolio. Listen, we could talk about Wilt all night long, and I wouldn't mind doing yes, that. Yes, <laughs> let's move on to some other things. And, and as I said at the top, you know, you specialize in covering, and you you were fortunate enough to be uh, courtside for the world champion Milwaukee Bucks last season. Um, and you specialize in covering them and the Chicago Bulls specifically, although you're all NBA, let's just face it. What do you make so far of the Bucks? And I, I guess you can use the word. It's been an uneven start so far. Giannis is still Giannis, but Middleton now has COVID. So I don't know when exactly he's going to be back. And he's had some injuries, I guess, to boot. The Bulls got off to a really good start so far this season. Um, they're losing right now at Philadelphia as we record this on Wednesday night, but they have their own injury problems as well. But what do you make of both those two teams? Well, in terms of um, the Bucks, you know, people can say, well, it's early. It is only, you know, week two. And, um, you know, what, what do you really expect of a defending champion? Should they be gutting it out right now in the regular season? Should they be focused on peaking come playoff time? I mean, this was a team that, focused on peaking at playoff time last year because uh, they had put up tremendous regular season records for two years in a row, and then they got bumped unceremoniously, uh, prematurely from the postseason. They didn't want that to happen again. They used the regular season last season as a workshop to work on things offensively, to work on their defense, be able to adjust when teams throw up whatever strategies they have in mind for stopping Giannis. And it worked out great. I mean, yeah, there were breaks along the way, injuries in the playoff road. Very rare that you don't see that. Um, even if a, if a champion is intact, you know, somebody will will get hurt and make their road a little bit easier. Uh, so I don't think Milwaukee has anything to apologize for. I think that it was going to be a little interesting how they would approach this season. Well, it's been thrust upon them because, yeah, you mentioned Middleton and, and the, uh, the COVID protocols that have him in quarantine right now. Beyond that, I mean, Brooke Lopez has a back issue. And for a guy his size and his number of years, you know, the mileage on him, I think that's something to watch. Uh, if Brooke Lopez, they don't have great depth up front. They're, they're not the biggest team. They do have Bobby Portis in, in reserve. But if Brooke Lopez isn't able to, um, you know, have a full productive season and certainly, you know, sort of build up toward the postseason – uh, they're going to have issues. Uh, yeah, Drew Holiday. I mean, the, the, it was the uh, ring night where Drew Holiday, he bruised his heel. And there was uh, there was a lot of relief in Milwaukee uh, that night in the postgame um, media room 
because he had had an MRI and he it was clean. And so they turned him day to day. And he's continued to be out with that, that heel contusion, it's been called. So these injuries, not only have they hurt the way the Bucks have played on the floor, they've put undue pressure on Giannis. They have allowed defenses to really load up on him. He's played longer minutes than he's used to playing, and he's having a tougher time getting physically beat up. This you know, creates some wear and tear on Giannis Antetokounmpo, and if his play suffers, then you can write everything else off because, I mean, he is the key to that team. And 90, 90 miles south, uh, your thoughts on the Bulls, and, you know, again, very early on. Yeah, the Bulls are fun. I mean, I, you know, I, I, there's a buzz. It's, it's certainly not a moment too late because um, there, was, there was, I sensed a, a real flatness in, in uh, the fan base for the Chicago Bulls. And if COVID hadn't kept people away for that long stretch of time from United Center, I do think that the uh, sort of frustration with the ongoing rebuild, retooling, makeover, whatever they wanted to call it. Now, they got new management in. They took their time to assess things. But for this season, you know, the offseason, very active. They got a lot of uh, uh, credit for some of the moves they made, even going back to the last trading deadline with Vucevic. Right now, I mean, they play hard. There's energy in the building. There's energy in the team. I think they've overachieved uh, defensively because that was supposed to be a weak spot for them. I think the tandem offensively of uh, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, a couple of you know nice bookend-type players who can sort of step in for each other. And if, if, if Levine is cold as he has been a few games to start uh, early in the season, DeMar picks up the, uh, the slack. It can go vice versa. DeRozan's been a, a pretty good closer. They've got two options now late in games. Defensively, I think Caruso and uh, Lonzo Ball are the key because they've been very disruptive to the other teams. I mean, they 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 pressure, they get you know they get into the passing lanes. It it triggers the Bulls' fast break. And I just think they're getting a, a lot of mileage out of out of energy and what's becoming now as they go through a harder stretch of the season and win these games a brimming confidence. So they're a fun team to watch. I'll be curious to see if. You know, their, their lack of size and with Patrick Williams' injury, a little bit of, of a lack of depth, when that starts to become a real challenge. But so far, so good. I want to get, get back to Giannis for a moment. It seems to me the shooting stroke is a lot smoother. Maybe the result's not there yet. Do you see a difference in the mechanics there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, he's gotten he's got an attention for that. I mean, there were two things you wanted to see from him, right? You wanted him to have a so reliable jump shot. And we're not talking three-pointer. I, I don't ever think he needs to be a three-point master. He needs those guys around him to open up the uh, to f- the floor. But if he can pull up, you know, hit the mid-range jumper, to me that's the key. It's out of fashion in the league, but for a guy like Giannis, if it saves him some wear and tear on not having to get into the restricted area constantly and bang off people and have them bang off him, I think that's huge, and I do think he worked on it. It was a very short offseason for the Milwaukee Bucks, but it seems clear that he spent time in the gym with that. He also spent time um, shortening up his free throw routine so that he's not constantly mocked on the road by counting fans, um, and, and he's able to get his free throw off without too much thinking about it. I think that sort of went into some of his struggles with a longer routine. It's like get the ball Dribble once, get it out of your hands, and uh, that's what we've seen so far. 
So, Steve, uh, the, the Eastern Conference, uh, Miami's gotten off to a very good start. The Knicks have gotten off to a good start. Charlotte's gotten off to a good start. You know, the two preseason favorites were going to be Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Brooklyn, of course, the whole Kyrie Irving situation, and we could talk about that as well. Um, and Boston just has been a flop so far, and now it seems like they have some turmoil in their locker room. So what do you make of the overall landscape of the Eastern Conference? Well, you're right. I mean, the teams that were um... – uh, we're going to be up there with Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. Uh, they've had their own problems internally um, with with uh, Brooklyn. It's Kyrie Irving, and is he or isn't he going to be available? I think I think when they decided he would be out of the picture until he's fully in the picture, I figured that was the best they could do because if this if it was any sort of a you know, Kyrie flitting around the periphery and maybe he's going to be there or maybe he'll practice or maybe he'll go on the road. You know, that's a constant distraction. I like that team if they could focus on James Harden, Kevin Durant, and a, and a pretty strong supporting cast. I like that team if Kyrie Irving is in and committed and playing with those other two guys. But anything in between that to me was going to be disruptive. So, you know, we'll see if, if, if they're able to focus. I mean, they, look at this. There's, a, there's a, a political event. There's an election. There's a new mayor coming in to, to uh, New York. And so all of a sudden now there's talk about, well, maybe the mandate will be lifted and Kyrie will be able to play. He'll be able to come around the team even if he's not vaccinated. And I'm thinking to myself, weren't we told to follow the science? I mean, it's just, it's like, where's the science in that? That's political science, frankly. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I think the, I think the Nets are kind of hoping that rather than, you know, the jab, that, that something changes in the mandate and all of a sudden Kyrie is able to come around and, and uh, play basketball again. It's, it's kind of crazy. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to go on here, but I mean, Philadelphia with Ben Simmons, they sort of brought that on themselves. Um, Ben Simmons to me is the number one culprit. He's incredibly stubborn for a guy his age uh, and what they have done for him to reward him as part of their future, a very key piece financially and every other which way for him to not accept, hey, I have a weakness here and I need to address it. I mean, if Giannis Antetokounmpo, a two-time MVP, can in a matter of a few months change his jump shot form, why can't Ben Simmons figure out a way that he could hit short jump shots reliably and have the guts to take them. I mean, again, he, okay, don't become a three-point shooter overnight, but you need to look to the rim when you're with the ball within a few feet. And, and that showing in that playoff game was, was so revealing in terms of Ben Simmons wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to yell at people for not acknowledging what a great defender he is. And then he doesn't meet them halfway on trying to improve as a player. I mean, I think that's a big mess, but you know, he's a sensitive guy. He didn't like Joel, Joel Embiid criticizing him after they were eliminated. Doc Rivers was sort of frustrated and said some things in the media. Yeah, oh, my goodness. I mean, $190 million or whatever his contract is, it ought to be able to soothe those wounds. Now, you know, they talk about that he's just not, mentally not ready to play. And, and that's sort of a – I don't even know what to make of that because you want to respect that side of health, right? comes something that – We've all become more aware of and, and, and at least try to uh, sympathize with, even if we don't necessarily understand what these guys go through. On the other hand, in a game of chess, that's a pretty bold check move on the 76ers such that, well, now how do they go back at him to try to get their money's worth? I mean, it's just, it's not good. I th- he needs to be traded. 
And um, he's hurt the trade value, but I think I think Philadelphia has to get more realistic about what they might be able to get for him. How do you like what you've seen from Miami so far? They seem really laser focused and, and, and really intent on being a big time team. Yeah, Pat Riley's not uh, he's not kidding around. I mean, he's, he, he, he knows it's late in the game for him. Um, he, you know, they're, they're always sort of in win now mode, even when uh, their season starts to uh, falter and falter early. But yeah, the moves they made, Kyle Lowry is a great pickup. I mean, he's a seasoned vet. As long as they can keep him from having to log too many minutes and, and, and uh, carry too much of the load, um, they should be fine. I mean, we know Jimmy Butler from his time with the Bulls. I mean, he's driven now and he's, and he's focused on the team. I, I, I felt some of his problems in the past he was focused on himself, and he's finally settled in with the long-term max deal. Um, Bam Adebayo is, uh, to me, he's sort of the the passion and defense of, of Kevin Garnett, whom, whom I covered, you know, for years and years. Uh, not with the scoring um, uh, touch, but in terms of just playing the game the right way. And, and they have other pieces. I mean, Tyler Hero is if Tyler Hero can can focus on his job and not get too distracted on his celebrity. Um, <laughs> what he's doing off the bench is, is probably already the sixth man of the year uh, leading candidate. So I think Miami Spolster's a, a tremendous coach. Um, yeah. I, I think they're, they're going to be right in the thick of it and, and more so probably than a lot of us thought, um, you know, prior to the season. Dave is chuckling a little because Tyler hero was my preseason sixth man of the year pick. Oh, good pick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One other Atlantic Division team I like to talk about. We the North. Um, they've been pretty good so far. And and, and no Siakam yet. Uh, Barnes has missed a couple of games. I think they could be a really interesting team in terms of the lineups they could put out there once Siakam comes back. And, and what are your impressions of Barnes so far? Because I know the We the North fans gave you a little grief. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Um, you know, I write a, a weekly rookie ranking for NBA.com, and uh, last week was the first full week, and and I had Barnes, I think, at number three, and and all of a sudden I felt like uh, a whole nation of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Canadian basketball fans were descending, as if I desecrated James Naismith's grave or something. The um, uh, yeah, they're 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 into him, and and with good reason. I mean, he he's been. I have good friends that cover that team on a regular basis, and they talk about how effervescent he's. Been. Great attitude. Uh, it was a little bit of a reach when they took him at number four. They took him over Jalen Suggs, who was probably slotted into that spot, and Barnes was projected somewhere five, six, or seven in the draft. They took him at four. They would have been happy if they used number one pick on him overall uh, with the production that they're getting. He's, he's solid at both ends. Uh, he handles the ball. He, he plays sort of a point-forward role for them. At six nine, yes, he's missed. He missed um, Monday's game, and he and he's missing tonight's game. But people expect that he'll be back in time to play Friday night when Toronto plays Cleveland. You might say, "Well, how exciting is that?" Well, Evan Mobley is probably going to be a, another top two or top three contender for Rookie of the Year. So to see Scotty Barnes go against Evan Mobley, you know, could be sort of an early season, really intriguing matchup. I like I like Toronto. Nick Nurse does a great job. Um, you know, they've got that championship experience, even if they don't have a ton of players, um, you know, left from that. Certainly not Kawhi Leonard or Lowry. But, um, you know, when Siakam comes back, they'll have to sort it out because Scotty Barnes might not have started 
had Siakam been there at the start of the season, but he is not going to be losing his starting job now. So they're going to have to figure out the rotation of, uh, of big men on that front line. Guys, before we get to the Western Conference, I just want to have a word from our sponsor, and the NBA is back. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. So why not make your roster Washington, 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 and oh yeah, Washington. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. And if they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we went over the Eastern Conference. Uh, let's go to the West. And uh, again, some teams are gotten out of the gate very quickly, like Golden State and Utah, to you know, to name just a couple. Steve, uh, the Lakers, uh, the Lakers will be there in the long run. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Phoenix is off to a slow start, I guess you could say. And then the, the the three worst teams in the NBA might be in the Western Conference: Houston, Oklahoma City, and New Orleans, especially without Zion. So, what's your overall feeling on the landscape of the West? Well, I mean, like a lot of people, I was, you know, you, you go with the rest of the multi-part question first. Um, when it comes to those those bottom feeders, I mean, at least Houston and Oklahoma City anticipated this kind of a season, right? Uh, New Orleans had a much higher hopes. I mean, they have a playoff, uh, uh, you know, position, a slot in mind. But when you start without Zion and all the uncertainty now that surrounds him, and, you know, their supporting cast is is pretty slim. They've got a rookie head coach. Um, it's, not, it's not what they had in mind, even though they probably should have expected, you know, some serious hiccups uh, getting going. But um, that, that to me is – that needs to shake out. I mean, Zion needs to, I think, decide he's a basketball player playing basketball, not a football player playing basketball, and get in a little – Better basketball shape. It's just not conducive to the to the sort of pounding to have that size um, and that level of impact on you know apparently his feet and you know, his his lower limbs. So um, I agree with you on the uh, the assessment of the Lakers. I mean, regardless of what goes on early, I would never bet against LeBron James. You know, having his team ready for the postseason. Um, you know, now they they ran into a difficult matchup playing from such a low seed. Last year, um, you know, Phoenix, that, that, that might have been the, the series that propelled them all the way to the finals when they gained confidence of, of dealing with them. So, um, you know, but now with, with Davis and Westbrook and LeBron, and I just think they'll figure out how to manage their, their uh, sharing of the ball um, when, you know, when LeBron or Davis is out and really unleashing Westbrook. I think that's all going to work out fine. Um, I'm not sure I'd consider them a favorite to win the title, but I think they're they probably are my favorite to uh, to emerge from the uh, the West. 
How optimistic are you about the Warriors, especially if Clay comes back and is effective? And I, I think he will be because he didn't rely on athleticism. This is a guy that comes off screens, great shooter, can defend. And to me, the Warriors system is still the best system in basketball with all the off-ball movement and cutting and screening. No, I agree with you. Um, you know, they're, he's got a lot of pent-up basketball in him. So assuming he doesn't get hurt again, I, I think he's, you know, he's sort of saved uh, some mileage and, and is ready to go, um, you know, after these layoffs. So, yeah, they, you know, not only, not only does he offer them a, a, you know, a great addition when he's back, but, you know, they're trying to do a very a pretty unusual thing where they're, you know, they have an idea they can get into contending even as they're attending to a veteran slash uh, rebuilding squad. I mean, there's, there's almost, it's like the old three bears thing where you've got these players that are, you know, the, the older guys and the veterans, and then you need these guys who are not quite ready. They don't really have a lot of Goldilocks players, but it seems with, with management and Steve Kerr and, and, and um, Bob Myers that they're able to, blend that. I mean, if um, James Weissman is able to you know, build on what was kind of a disappointing rookie season, but the guy has just got all sorts of raw talent for a, for a seven footer. And then Jonathan Kaminga comes in, you know, after a year in the G league, he's back in the G league right now because he, he started, you know, the, uh, in the preseason, he ended up with, with a, a sore knee. But if, if they can nurture some of these guys along, um, Moses Moody, another guy who, you know, might be able to help down the road. So it's sort of like if, if, if they can they can get those young guys to work with the the vets and the vets take a vested interest in those young guys, it'd be a really interesting kind of a, a team rising up the standings in the West. And what's your level of confidence that the Suns are an upper echelon team again? Yeah, I'm not – I'm not 100% sure. I, I would have said after game six in Milwaukee, um, you know, uh, with the uh, 2021 championship decided that the Suns were maybe going to be the favorite. But I'm a little surprised by what's going on. I was, you know, the DeAndre Ayton contract um, friction was seemed very un-Suns-like for, for this edition of the, uh, the Phoenix team. Um, you'd think he might have gotten taken care of, or, or somehow that would have been smoothed over in in such you know in a way that it wouldn't have become so public uh, that he didn't get his extension. Um, I was impressed, you know, uh, as much as I could be with Devin Booker, uh, both on the court in the in the finals and off the court, the way he handled uh, various uh, levels of pressure. And so I guess you know I think he's he's still got the opportunity to be a real breakout player for them. Chris Paul is, you know, exceedingly effective running that show. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, um, he may be a, a candidate for most improved player. So they've got a lot going on. Monty Williams, you know, he might have won the, the coach of the year last year for taking that team to the finals. The voting was done before that, but nobody doubted the job he did, and, and that might be his trophy this time. So they've got everything sort of in place. Um, it just seems like they're spinning their wheels here early in the season, and I'm not quite sure why. Steve, one last one from me on the Western Conference. Uh, Sacramento's got some good pieces, especially at the guard position, goes without saying. I thought Marvin Bagley was going to be uh, a good piece for them up front, but for whatever reason, he's out of the rotation, and they're going to trade him. 
but you can't trade a guy who just sits on the bench. I mean, what's the point of that? So why are they not at least trying to showcase him? Where does he end up? Does he go to Philadelphia for Simmons and some kind of deal? Does he come to Chicago? Because ultimately the Bulls are going to need some size. It's That's just going to ha- be an eventuality. What's going to happen with Marvin Bagley in Sacramento? Uh, that's a good point. I mean, you know, you got to think, though, that this league also has a philosophy of – uh, you don't want to play a guy and expose him to injury because if he gets hurt, then you're stuck and you can't move him. Yeah. I mean, we saw when Anthony Davis wanted out of New Orleans, uh, New Orleans just decided, well, we're going to we're gonna sit this guy then. I mean, he's, he's obviously not committed to our organization, and we want to make sure he doesn't get hurt. He has a, He's a guy with a, a history of, of injuries. So, you know, you can sit a guy and say, well, he's going he's gonna to get, um, get rusty and not bring maximum return, but somebody's going to pull the trigger on Ben Simmons. And I assume the same thing about Bagley. I did not really thought about the bulls as a landing spot for, uh, for Bagley. Um, you know, I don't see him enough. Those late West coast games. Uh, I don't do really any travel out to the, to the coast during the regular season. So, um, you know, I, I agree with you. They got a lot of talent uh, that he has so fallen out of favor to me as a red flag. I know that he somehow he and the Aaron Fox's, family members got into it in social media where there was some back and forth and, and sniping and things. And it's like, come on guys. I mean, you know, you've got to be able to, to control your peeps. Um, if it's going to hurt your job, I mean, you know, who among us would, would let uh, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever, mom and dad uh, weigh in and, and somehow mess up a, a team chemistry. So I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sold on Bagley. I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Bulls management would do, their due diligence. One final one for me. Do you see a surprise team that makes the playoffs this year? Um, I don't, out East, I don't think anybody really qualifies as a surprise. And the fact that there's the play-in mechanism makes it, you really got to dig down deep to, um, to think of somebody who's not necessarily even thought of as being worthy for that. Um, I, you know, I would say Sacramento or I, or, I, you know, I, I really like Memphis and the fact that they had to get in with plan. I think they could still qualify under our terms here as a uh, surprise team. I mean, John Morant to me in great ways and even in a little cautionary way reminds me of Derek Rose, vintage Derek Rose in that he plays so explosively and with so few limits and it makes me think, boy, he is so exposed when he goes up to dunk the ball and, and, and so subject to, you know, collision. Or just with Derek, it was like just the torque he put on his own legs, his knees, his ankles. And, and it caught up with him. There were reasons we didn't really see many guys play like that before Derek. Now we're seeing John Morant, to a large degree, play like that. And having gone through the whole Rose saga it makes me kind of leery of, you know, can he keep this up or is he going to have to make the adjustments that Derek had forced on him? Steve, I want to touch on two last subjects, if I can. Uh, the top 75, which came out, it's it's the better part of two weeks ago now, but it's still in the news. I mean, because it still rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, myself <laughs> included. And I'm sure you have your own thoughts. I thought, you know, I mean, it could have been the top 750, to be honest with you. There's so many great players in NBA history, but they limited, actually, they limited to 76. People don't realize there was a 76 player because there was a tie for number 75 and 76. That was kind of weenie, I thought. You know, <laughs> like if you're celebrating the 75th anniversary, you're picking the top 75 players. 
don't make it 76. I mean, they pay some of the big bucks. Come in there and break the tie. That was so funny. But the one guy that really irked me that is not on this list, and I was just talking to George Blaha about this recently when the when the Pistons were in town, it was Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars, to me, was a top 75 player for sure. Uh, and it was the one player that Michael Jordan had the ultimate respect for because he played hard on both ends of the court. Yes, he played on, on some dirty teams, to be honest with you, but he was such a good player. He was not part of that dirty dirty playing. Joe Dumars was the one that most irked me. How about you? Well, um, I should probably just state up front, I, I was on the voting panel. I okay. did. And of the 76 who made it, I, 73 of the guys on my ballot made it. So two guys I voted for that did not make it were um, Pau Gasol. I voted for him. And um, now I'm blanking on who that other uh, was. Um, but I didn't vote for Damian Lillard. I didn't vote for Anthony Davis. And um, one more I didn't vote for. But anyway, I, I should have the list in front of me. But, um, you know, Dumars, I don't know. I mean, my approach was I wanted to keep the, the top 50 players that were named in 1996. Mm -hmm. I thought that to throw people off of that, if you did it to one or two guys, it would be so isolated and particular that either those players would be embarrassed or their surviving family members would be, you know, would be hurt by that. I just thought that if it's going to mean anything, it has to be more than a snapshot in October of 2021. And, and the guys that get onto that, that got onto that top 75, they don't want to be thrown off in, in 2046. So I just thought you keep the 50, you add 25. And once you do that, I mean, those 25 spots start to fill up rather quickly. I mean, you can make a, a great case for Joe Dumars. Um, there were some people that thought Dennis Rodman didn't belong. And with those two guys, I mean, part of, Part of the issue was that if you are going to keep the top 50, well, they weren't included then. So it's almost like how much did they do after 1996 to justify adding them when you've got all these, you know, contemporary players of the last couple decades, last quarter century. Um, I think that a few guys like that got a little bit lost in the shuffle. That's right. I didn't, I didn't vote for uh, Reggie Miller. So it was Miller, Lillard, and um, Davis I did not vote for. I voted for Pau Gasol. And uh, one other guy who's now he's getting snubbed by me here after he got snubbed. <laughs> so um, I'll remember as soon as we're done here. But um, you make a case for Dumars. I mean, there were people that said Alex English, you know, as uh, the consistency he, sh he showed as a 24, 25 point a game scorer with Denver all those years. Well, you know, that's fine, but he wasn't even on the top 50. So you're going to go back and reach back. I mean, they did add two guys, and I voted for both McAdoo and Dominique Wilkins, who I thought were the biggest snubs from that top 50, and they both made it. Other people thought English should be another guy. Um, they wanted to see people like, you know, DeBusher or Dave Bing or Dave Cowens, or some said Bill Walton because of the, the short time frame and, and limited, you know, contributions of his NBA career. I just thought if you start throwing people off, the whole thing's not going to mean a lot. The NBA doesn't have its own Hall of Fame. All right. The Naismith Hall of Fame is for all basketball. It's college, it's amateur, it's European, it's women, it's it's pro. So I thought that this top 75, previously the top 50, is the closest that the NBA has to a really elite Hall of Fame. 
And you don't disenshrine Hall of Famers. So to me, there were only 25 spots to work with this time around. I wanted to honor those players. I wanted to honor the voters from 25 years ago and respect their, their they saw a lot of those legends play. I mean, how many of us have seen, you know, had saw, had saw Bill Sharman or Sam Jones or Paul Arizon or Bob Pettit, you know, play uh, actual games. So once you're down to 25, it, it's tough. I mean, I didn't vote for Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, Tony Parker, you know, some really great players that I just couldn't find spots on the, on the ballot for. So Dumars, to be honest with you, I didn't have him in my top 80, I guess. That's fair. Andy? No, I, I agree. I, I in, and I guess if I had to pick one player out, it, it would have been Carmelo. And actually, what Alex English did scoring-wise in his era may be more impressive than what Carmelo's done. But, again, it's all subjective. It is. All right. Let me, let me throw one more at you, Steve. And, and talking about top 50, top 75, two of them, of course, played on the world champion, six-time world champion Chicago Bulls. And now we have a soap opera going after the fact. And uh, I think you know where I'm going with this. Scotty Pippen's book is about to come out, but we've seen excerpts already. And he's taken more than you knew it was coming, by the way. It was inevitable. Yeah. But uh, he's taken some pot shots at Michael Jordan. And I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Does that tarnish what they did on the court? Not to me, it doesn't. But uh, I mean, Scotty's always been Scotty. I guess that's the best way of putting it. He's yeah. been booty to say the least. Michael, listen, Michael, one of the reasons that Michael was so great is because that's just the way he is on and off the court. Um, but it's interesting. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? Because they're sniping now. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, when you have a book come out in November, you know, with that Christmas uh, public, you know, that Christmas sales uh, uh, opportunity in mind, I mean, you want it to be a book that generates attention. Um, it's also sort of indicative of the relationship. You know, it's sort of, and this really goes back a ways, but it's the old Tommy Smothers, you know, mama was like you better kind of a thing. I mean, Scotty's never been um, been able to make full peace with that. There are times it seemed like he did. You know, Michael had that last dance um, documentary that we all loved, particularly, you know, when it came out because we were in, we were craving NBA and, and, and sports uh, in the midst of the, uh, the virus lockdowns. Um, Scotty, I think, is craving attention. Uh, the way we were craving sports to pay attention, uh, pay attention to. So um, I'm not surprised. I mean, it, it, it's got to be hard to be the forever younger brother, the guy who's number two, you know, the sidekick. Uh, you want to have that that moment to shine. Scotty got a moment to shine later in his career, and it never quite panned out for him. You know, uh, Houston very shortly, and then in Portland, um, heard great things about Scotty as a as a teammate, especially for younger players, you know, when he was with the Bulls, even when he came back at the end with the Bulls. But, yeah, a little bit of that sibling rivalry. And, and look, there's no way as, as valuable as he was, as impossible as that, that dynasty would have been without him, there's no way that he could supplant Michael Jordan in, uh, in people's minds, particularly Michael's mind. Um, he's got a huge ego as probably as big as anybody in sports, and it paid off tremendously. So I just, I, it, it just feels kind of sad. You know, when, when people hit middle age and beyond, it's like you need to mend bridges, not burn bridges. 
You know, it's interesting because Scotty's had some tough things that have, has happened in his life over the last couple of years. He lost a child. Um, he, you know, he got divorced. So who knows? Maybe maybe that has some kind of psychological effect. And I mean, watching that documentary in the midst of all that, I'm sure rubbed him the wrong way. But you hate to see you hate to see it because it does in some people's eyes, not mine so much because I was I mean, I just loved every minute of those championships. But in some people's eyes. This will now that. Andy, got any last questions for Steve? Um, Steve, is there one particular player that you really like that falls under the radar in the league? Currently in the league? In the yeah. league? Um, wow. Uh, hitting me cold with that. Who? If nothing comes to mind, that's fine. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I – I really like um, uh, Malcolm Brogdon. I think he's a guy that's unheralded, um, very valuable piece. Um, you know, now with the Pacers was was terrific when he was with the uh, when the, with the Bucks. Um, boy, after that, um, I, you know, if can an MVP be uh, underrated? Uh, you know, Jokic to me is right. Still, okay. He gets discounted a lot. People really, it's almost like a pinch me. Did he really, was he really that good last year? Yes, he was really that good. And, um, you know, I think he's a guy, all he needs is some some team success for, for people to really pay attention. All right. Well, anyway, uh, a lot of great insight from yourself, Steve. We appreciate everything. Uh, hang on for a second as I say goodbye to our listeners. And again, you can follow Steve as I do on Twitter at Ash at A-S-C-H-N-B-A. And obviously he's a great follow on Twitter.